This is Age of Treason Radio. On the White Network. Daddy always smiled, took me by the hand, saying someday you'll understand. Well, I'm here to tell you now that you never know the stone. You better like it fast, you better like it young, cause someday it never comes. With your host, Tan Stoffel. Holding the Jews accountable for what they do. Extending upon what I talked about the last time and misconstruing the Jews. One of the more uh, important things that is misconstrued about the Jews is that they be held accountable. The mistake is made to overlook the Jews either because of the assumption that they're just a small, tiny minority or a solipsistic, uh, Eurocentric view that only we matter, only whites matter, and that if we just got our stuff together that we could square away the Jews and they don't, they don't matter. Responsibility is an interesting word. The state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or of having control over someone. Synonyms are authority, control, power, leadership. These are all things that anyone who's interested in uh, racialism uh, and uh, the white race is uh, thinking about. The key word there is duty. The Jews don't really have a duty to white people because they aren't white. They don't see themselves as white. They see themselves as Jews. They see themselves as separate. And that's really the core of the problem, of the of, of the issue. And uh, the flip side of that, the, the thing that enables it, the, uh, the other ingredient of the explosive uh, problem is that whites – don't see Jews as separate, as as uh, and, and as I said the last time, not just as separate, but as a separate and hostile uh, competitor, as an enemy. And that asymmetry is really uh, the the crux of the problem. That when you have two groups that are enemies with each other, but only one group understands and and actively uh, pursues hostilities against the other, whereas the other one tries to imagine that this isn't happening, you know, partly in denial, partly off doing their own thing, partly uh, uh, ignoring what's going on. Accountability is related to responsibility. And uh, as I say, holding the Jews accountable for what they do is is the uh, the topic here. And now the Jews, I don't uh, delude myself to think that they have a duty to do anything about the harm that they do to whites, and that it's whites' duty to take note of that harm 
and to do something about it, to act to the extent we're able to, to prevent that harm from happening. Accountability doesn't have to do with duty. It has to do with liability, really. The uh, Who gets the bill for the harm that's done? And uh, the way things stand right now, whites are getting the bill for the, the harm that the Jews are doing. And that's what needs to change, is the Jews need to get the bill for the harm that they cause. Now, returning again to uh, some thoughts that I've had on uh, what I was commenting on the last time, the, the last chapter of the International Jew, Henry Ford's uh, great work. Uh, the last chapter was titled, An Address to Gentiles on the Jewish Question. And I left off with a paragraph that starts off that the Jewish question has existed for a long time. As the Jew knows and admits, and is a consequence of certain un-Jewish or rather un-Israelitish ideas held by Jewish persons of power. The disability under which Jews, the Jew labors is that he is not a Jew, properly speaking, and does not desire to be. Just at that point is the soil and the root of the Jewish question. Starts off very promising, that paragraph. And uh, the international Jew in general grappled very competently with the Jewish question. I just feel a bit let down by this last chapter that the second part of this paragraph uh, describes why I'm let down, and that is to excuse the Jews, really, to acknowledge that the Jews know what's going on and not mention that whites don't. Even whites back in the 1920s, when the International Jew was, was being published, for the most part, didn't understand the Jews. And even the readers, or sorry, the, the writers of the International Jew, uh, or this writer, who summed up the work at the end, or summed up what they thought that their solution, what the problem was and what the solution should be, didn't really seem to get the Jews, underestimated the Jews, tried to say it was just Jewish persons of power, certain Jewish persons of power. And this whole notion that the Jews aren't really the Jews, this really is misconstruing the Jews. This, and it's, it's misconstruing what the problem is. The problem, it, it, it gets things right and it gets things wrong, and it's a, a mix here. Uh, the article does a good job of spelling out that the problem for Gentiles, for instance, is Jews dictating the terms in which Gentiles think. The word Gentile, for example. And also identifying that another problem for Gentiles quote-unquote Gentiles, is that they have no common cause, no shared interests, no common identity. I would add to that that Gentile just means non-Jew. And of course, everyone who's not a Jew 
whatever Jews have in common with each other is as different as they are from each other. Non-Jews are even more disparate, have even less in common with each other. Now, the Jews themselves, back to this point about the Jews are not the, really the Jews and, and how silly that is. Uh, the Jews themselves have that kind of debate every so often amongst themselves and point fingers. Various sects decide that they're the real Jews and every all the other Jews aren't the real Jews for some sectarian reason or another. Internal divisions, the different prophets that they decide to follow, or some of them decide to follow. It's a Jewish debate, and the crux of it is, who are the Jews, and what's best for the Jews? And the only people who really have an interest in engaging in that kind of a debate are Jews. If you're not a Jew, there's nothing that you can accomplish by trying to engage in such a debate about who the real Jews are who the real Israelites are. Unless maybe you subvert them, you know, uh, get them to fight amongst themselves, instigate, you know, think like a Jew and, and uh, try and divide and conquer them by encouraging them to debate amongst themselves so that while they're divided, our interests can be advanced. But I, that's not what the, uh, the writer of the International Jew was, um, this chapter at least, was, was implying or seemed to be implying. The Jews have a, a saying about their argumentativeness, two Jews, three opinions, which implies that they can't seem to make up their mind. But the reality is, and what I like to add to that saying is, two Jews, three opinions about what's best for the Jews, because that's the reality. They're always willing to argue, but the central question that they're always arguing about is, What's best for the Jews? Is this good for the Jews or is it bad for the Jews? And that consensus on that central question, the agreement on that question, is what makes Jews Jews, at least in their heads. There's a genetic component to it as well, that you have to be uh, genetically part of the tribe as well, and that they push away outsiders and they discourage converts and they discourage intermarriage with non-biological Jews. And they consider... Jews who are biological, who, who don't adhere to their religious uh, strictures at all, are still Jews to Jews. Uh, you know, I've been over this all before, that uh, the nature of Jews is biological. But what makes the Jews Jews in their heads is this agreement about what's best for the Jews. And that that is what defines uh, who is us for the Jews, is this constant argument about what's best for the Jews. Uh, the international Jew, another par notable paragraph here is, tackling the Jewish question is not congenial work. The race which is this article now addresses has always shrunk from tackling it. Our race has little disposition to chastise any portion of humanity, to arouse feeling or resist it. We have little taste for this surgical work which becomes absolutely necessary when certain corrupt influences deeply dislocate and seriously injure the common life. Nothing but a clear vision of the danger, nothing but an imperative sense of duty would impel any one of us to embark on a course which is subject to misunderstanding, 
which must, in the nature of things, wait long for its complete justification. Our race is too fair, and has always been too fair, to enter hastily into judgment. And upon this fairness and long-suffering, the offending groups have often seriously trespassed. This um, truth and nonsense uh, weave together there. I, the first thought that comes to my mind is this is just a few years after World War I, the war to end all wars, the war to keep the world safe for democracy. The race that they were addressing fell for that nonsense to go to war and go far beyond surgical work and and uh, arousing feelings and chastising portions of humanity. But and, and this is what I was getting at uh, when we had our all hands discussion. And I, I said that the core of the issue is this moral legitimacy. As you can see, when when whites go off to war, especially in the last 100, 200, 300 years, it's been for stupid reasons that end up being destructive to white interests. We could see that clearer and clearer, especially in World War One and World War Two, Vietnam, Korea, all of these foreign wars, the most recent wars included, uh, it just gets worse and worse. It's now, but when we go to war, the people who are pulling the strings, the people who are giving the orders to go to war, the people who want the war for a variety of reasons, they realize that what's necessary is to give the people, give the masses a sense of moral legitimacy that the enemy has just done something heinous and needs to be punished. That's the general template. And that's what I mean by moral legitimacy. The I wrote an article probably about a year ago now about uh, uh, guns. It had to do with um, uh, some black was upset that he saw all these videos on YouTube with all these white people, including white women, learning to shoot and, and uh, being very good at shooting, liking their guns. And gun culture in America, at least, is a um, an implicitly white thing. It's a whites who... Uh, revere uh, the Second Amendment and uh, love to shoot. The problem for whites is we're horrible at picking our targets. We don't, and I'm speaking metaphorically now, uh, we're great. Once we aim at something, we're great at hitting it. We're technically very capable people, but we don't think of our own interests. What is it we're shooting at? And if we can get that together with our technical competence, with our courage, then we really can accomplish great things instead of destructive things, great things for ourselves. And that's another sense of morality is what's good and what's bad is what morality is all about. And the best morality, the only fitting morality for a group of people is defining good and bad in terms of what's good or bad for them as a people, as a group, a particularist morality. The International Jew article talks about Jewish power, uh, even in 1922. Regarded by itself as a separate entity, the Jewish power is most impressive 
International Jews today occupy literally every controlling lever of power, building up for centuries, perfecting their teamwork from generation to generation, from country to country. They have practically reached the summit. This is a, an excellent uh, summary of the Jewish problem, the Jewish question, and uh, really grasps the long-term uh, eternal nature of the problem, that it's it's been around for a long time. It didn't start in the United States in 1920 or even in the few decades before when Jews first started flooding into the United States. It's, it's a long-standing problem between Jews and Europeans. And the problem has been mainly for Europeans. And this is uh, another point I, I think bears reiterating is that the Jews, they're telling of the problem is that it's Europeans who are the problem. It's Europeans who have been responsible for all the harm that's been done. It's Europeans that have been oppressing the Jews for our whole history. And uh, that's an, an inversion of reality. Uh, it's white people who have been harmed by the Jews for that uh, that whole time. paragraph I just uh, read concludes, nothing but the Christian religion remains unvanquished by them, though through false liberalism, even that has felt the Jewish assault. And this is where uh, Carolyn Yeager uh, commented that they have vanquished finally the Christian religion, it seems. And so they are at the pinnacle now. They are at the peak. And uh, Hadding Scott uh, called it peak Jew or peak Jewish power. And he says, uh, in his opinion, there's nowhere to go but down. And uh, I think that's uh, misconstruing the Jews. That's underestimating the Jews, at least. I don't think uh, we've seen peak Jew yet, uh, not in the United States and not in the world. Uh, because uh, the other thing that Hadding said is now people realize that now people recognize uh the Jews and see the Jews and what they're doing. And I think the Internet has changed the equation and it has done some of that. Uh, but the, the struggle still goes on. The Jews are fighting to combat uh, the advantage that the Internet has given us. And uh, they do it in uh, several different ways that I'll, I'll have to go into another time. Um, wasn't what I wanted to talk about tonight. But it's uh, not clear who's going to win in the end. And uh, I, I suspect myself that the Internet will be taken away from us uh, shortly. It, it, they bring up Christianity here uh, explicitly and throughout this article. And um, I think I can uh, finish up here by talking a little bit about Christianity, about religion. And the first thing to say, of course, is that the Jews have always used their religion as a cover, really. It's a vehicle for their peoplehood, and it's a cover for their peoplehood. It gives them an excuse to pursue their group interests, which are really racial interests. Uh, it gives them an excuse to gather and to organize, to marry amongst themselves, to preserve themselves as a people, to uh, help with their continuity as a people, and that the most religious Jews, quote-unquote religious Jews, are the ones most concerned about bloodlines and racial purity, and the most opposed to 
miscegenation, to mixing. The Jewish religion and morality is particularist. It it's puts the Jews on a pedestal, it puts their interests first. If not always explicitly out in front of our eyes, they know it themselves and they, they teach their children uh, to put Jews and Jewish interests first and to not trust anyone else. And that's particularist. Christianity is in a very strong sense the opposite of that. It's universalist. And it has served the opposite purpose and, and harmed Europeans in the long term. Uh, and I don't want to get into the long argument about whether Christianity is what preserved Europeans for as long as it did or, or not. I tend to fall on the other side that it, it really has um, helped to disable European concern for our continuity, uh, racial continuity. And that we're seeing the final denouement uh, in recent decades. Uh, Christianity is a started at least as a Jewish intellectual movement, and it's a narrative starring the Jews. It's it encourages or has in places and at times encouraged tolerance for Jews, and to put it in the terms of the uh, international Jew, it's prepared the soil for Jewish infiltration of European societies from the very beginning and all along through its 2,000 years in uh, Europe. Now, the international Jew, in a sense, acknowledges this too, uh, maybe not in the same terms, but uh, that there's a problem here with Christianity. And it says, besides this massive array of power, talking about the Jewish power it was just uh, discussing, immovable as it appears, there is the veil cast over the Christian mind as to the supposedly peculiar destiny of God's chosen people. The Christian cannot read the Bible except through Jewish spectacles and therefore reads it wrong. The idea of the Jewish people is one of the two great biblical ideas, but that the Jews constitute this chosen people is entirely opposed to the statement of the Bible, even of the Bible which the Jews acknowledge, the Old Testament of the Christians. This, again, is trying to argue with the Jews about who the Jews are, uh, and, and in this case arguing specifically with the Jewish book. But it is, it's an observation first that Christians misconstrue the Jews. And in that part, that's good. I, I agree with that. I think that that's right. But then they say, why does it happen? Because the Christians misconstrue the Bible. They misunderstand, misinterpret the Bible. And this itself, to me, seems to be misconstruing the Jews and misconstruing what the problem is. The problem isn't in the Bible or with the interpretation of the Bible. It's uh, back to the word Gentile again. It's in accepting this Jewish narrative from the get-go. This story, this these um, parables and this morality play that has been created or at least handed to Christians by the Jews, starring the Jews. Now, the problem is at root based on racial differences. It's not an ideological problem. It's not a misunderstanding of ideology. People misconstrue the Jews because the Jews misrepresent themselves. They have a propensity for crypsis, for disguising themselves, for lying about who they are and what they're up to. And they're up to no good. That's why they disguise themselves and they lie. That's the reason for the double standards and the hypocrisy 
and why they encourage harm and damage and chaos in the societies in which they live, but not in their own homeland, in Israel, where it's run for the benefit of the Jews. There they counter all of the things that they encourage when they live amongst other peoples. And they do this deliberately. It's not some sort of a mistake. It's a historical pattern. They realize the difference between themselves and others, and they realize that that difference is racial. And that's why they so vehemently deny the biological reality of race. It doesn't help them if everyone around them, their prey, their hosts, understands that the Jews are aliens that are exploiting them. Christianity isn't really even necessary. I'm not, I don't need to bash Christianity, and I don't think Christianity is the problem. It's one symptom, it's one vehicle that the Jews have used to infiltrate and manipulate European societies. The Muslims are vulnerable to the Jews, too, to being infiltrated and manipulated and exploited by Jews as well. There's the Ottoman Empire as a good example of that. The Caliphate in Spain prior to the Reconquista by Europeans. But that time when the Jews were working hand-in-hand with the Muslims, manipulating and exploiting the Muslims, the Jews refer to that as the Jewish Golden Age. Revelo Oliver, in his book The Jewish Strategy, he talks about an edict that a Roman emperor, Claudius, wrote in 41 AD, long before Christianity had taken root amongst Europeans. And certainly Claudius was no Christian. He was more of a Jew tool, akin to Joe Biden, to put it in today's terms. He was a friend of the Jews. But even he wrote in response to a complaint from Greeks in Alexandria, about what the Jews were doing in Alexandria. And what were the Jews doing in Alexandria? Alexandria, they were complaining that they were being oppressed and being discriminated against because the Greeks in Alexandria had their own institutions. They had their own schools and their own um, sports and uh, cultural uh, celebrations. And the Jews were trying to elbow into them. And the Jews used their religion to keep their own uh, institutions for themselves and justify that they're just for themselves. But they, at the same time, want to elbow in to the society, whatever society that they're living in, whatever host they're living amongst, whatever prey that they're preying upon, uh, they insist upon getting into those things. They don't want to be excluded, and they start complaining, as they did even back in 41 AD, before Christianity was ever a factor. So it's not that Christianity makes... Europeans in particular weak. This is a constant behavior of the Jews throughout history that they use this bag of tricks, portraying themselves as a minority, as oppressed, guilt-tripping the people amongst whom they live, paying off who they need to, constantly lobbying, constantly conscious of their interests as a group, and constantly lobbying for their interests as a group over and above anyone around them. That's the secret of the Jews, and that's what they need to be held accountable for. It makes me think, knowing uh, of these relatively concrete things, further back into history. Their tales, 
the Jewish tales, the Jewish narrative about what happened to them in Egypt and what happened to them in Babylon. And I wonder, what were the Jews up to in those places? What what uh, horrible depredations uh, did they inflict upon their hosts there to get them kicked out of those countries? The international Jew concludes, or toward the end says, but what shall we do? Uh, how shall we balk this system which surrounds us? What they, to put it in a nutshell, what they suggest is to eschew the Jew, to, uh, uh, they make a good suggestion to uh, erect our own moral landmarks, which to me would include ditching uh, the Jews telling us what's good and what's bad, uh, ditch Jewish morality and thinking that the Jews might be our partners or might be allies or something. We should give up on that. Eschewing the Jews reminds me also of white flight and homeschooling, and the Jews have an answer to that. They force it upon you, the forced integration, compulsory uh, government education, compulsory Jewish narrative education in the Holocaust in school. You can't run away from the Jews. You need to hold them accountable for being your enemy.